We are on a biblical character study tour here at Rainbow, and today's stop is Daniel. And it was so fitting what Jan shared this morning, um, partly because the final chapter uh, in Daniel, chapter 12, um, we are told that the wise of the earth shall shine like the brightness of the sky. Those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. And I just want to note the song that we just sung. I, I, I wanted to learn more about um, this hymn. And I actually found um, in another hymnal, um, uh, the text is actually said to be from 1927. And listen to this verse that we didn't sing this morning, but is, is found in some hymnals uh, for this song. Listen to this. Proudly rise our modern cities... Stately buildings row on row, yet their windows blank, unfeeling, stare on canyoned streets below, where the lonely drift unnoticed in the city's ebb and flow, lost to purpose and to meaning, scarcely caring where they go. Isn't that an interesting verse that we did not not sing this morning? Well, as I've done in in past weeks, um, I want to begin with an overview of the book of Daniel with with special focus given to chapter 5, which is printed in your bulletin today. So you can have that ready. We're not going to read it, um, but I I will um, draw attention to it. So Daniel is set in a similar time as as the book of Esther, which we um, looked at last week. So think... 500, maybe 600 years before Jesus is born. Jesus, of course, raised in the Jewish family. He was, uh, he would have grown up hearing these stories about Esther and Daniel. So the story goes that Daniel was born to a Judean noble family. He was among the first group of Jewish captives taken to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel lived in Babylon for uh, his life, 60-plus years, where he eventually rose to a high government position as a result of his God-given ability to interpret dreams and visions. He seems to have a special knack for seeing into the future. He's like the three-eyed raven from Game of Thrones. (laughs) Daniel serves under four kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, which is Nebuchadnezzar's son, Darius, and Cyrus. And just to know, a large section of Daniel is written in the Aramaic language, which is a cousin language to Hebrew. The name Daniel in Hebrew means, God is my judge. And I love that we have a church member who also served as a Wyandotte Wyandotte County judge named Dan. I trust you had God is my judge sewed in your robe as you served. Yeah, yeah. In Daniel chapter 1, the king commands his palace master to bring some Israelites of the royal family, young men without physical defect, 
who are wise and competent to serve in the king's palace. So these Israelite men are trained in Babylonian language, arts, and culture, and they are given different names, Babylonian names, uh, a way in which this, the king sought to erase their identity as Israelites. Daniel's given Babylon, Babylonian name was Belteshazzar. That's a mouthful. His friends, Hananiah, which in Hebrew means God is gracious, Michelle, one who is like God, and Azariah, God has helped. These three are given Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's interesting to me that we still refer to these three people with their Babylonian names, except for Daniel. (laughs) So these Israelite men have very little agency. They are to do as they are told. Because remember, at this time, the normal paradigm of political rule was that the, the king had absolute authority. Kings were considered divine by many in the Mediterranean world. Disobeying them was equivalent to defying the very order of, co- of the cosmos. But Daniel, Daniel's faith taught him otherwise. Earthly claims to absolute power were never as absolute as world leaders would have us believe. Only the one true God has that kind of absolute power. Again, so Daniel and his friends believed. So a clash ensues in the book of Daniel, several clashes in Daniel between the Israelites and their Babylonian rulers. The first clash is over what they should eat and drink. Daniel and his friends were ordered to eat daily rations of meat and wine. But with Daniel's leading, this group of Israelites resolved that they could not defile themselves with this kind of diet. So they worked out a secret deal with the commanders They would only be served a vegetarian diet and water, not wine. Fortunately for them, their vegetarian diet made them that much more impressive. And the king found Daniel and his friends ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. So take that, carnivores. (laughs) The good news is that their lives were spared. The not-so-good news is that they they now, these Israelite men, now have the attention of the king. No more flying under the radar for these Israelites. So skipping ahead to chapter 3, once again Daniel and his friends feel the clash between what the king was decreeing and what their faith asked of them. So in chapter 3, the clash had to do with idol or king worship. King Nebuchadnezzar, who is a piece of work, had a golden statue made, presumably of himself, covered with gold that stood 90 feet high. 
Everyone gathered, scripture says, for the dedication of the image and the worship of it. I'm sure the crowds were huge. (laughs) And everyone was ordered to bow down whenever they heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the harp, the drum, the entire musical ensemble. There's so much repetition in Daniel, which many see as poking fun at all this royal pageantry. So everyone was ordered to bow down when they heard this music, and the punishment for not doing so was a sure and certain death. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, knowing full well the risk, they refused to bow down. They basically tell the king, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship you or your golden statue. Go ahead, depose of us. So that's what the king does. They are thrown into the fiery furnace. And miraculously, they are not harmed. For God has been gracious. God has helped us. The one who is like God. Again, those are what those three names mean in Hebrew. Well, skipping ahead to another time of protest and conscientious resistance in Daniel. In this situation, we're in chapter 6 now. Daniel is once again propped up. This happens over and over in Daniel. He's propped up by the king for having special insight. He has a most excellent spirit. No complaint was against him. No corruption found in Daniel. No negligence. Still, some of the royal commanders, they didn't trust Daniel They questioned his loyalty. So they basically set a trap for him. And they convinced the king, which is now Nebuchadnezzar's son, to enforce an edict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days except to the king, they should be thrown into the den of lions. So with this trap laid and knowing about this edict, what does Daniel do? Daniel continues to go to his house, which has windows in its upper room facing toward Jerusalem. And he gets down on his knees three times to pray, to pray to his God for all to see. That's in chapter 6, verse 10. So that's the act that lays uh, Daniel in the lion's den. But he too, like his friends before, he miraculously lives. For God is Daniel's judge, not the king. So that's chapter 6. But I want to focus, like I said, a little bit on chapter 5, which is printed in your bulletin. So take that out if if you want. Chapter 5 often gets eclipsed by the more well-known stories in Daniel of the fiery furnace and the lion's den. But I think chapter 5 is so revealing because literally we see the writing on the wall in terms of what Daniel is all about. So in chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's son is the ruler now. His name is Belshazzar. 
he's plagued with the same pride of his father. And under the influence of wine, he orders that the holy vessels of the, uh, the holy vessels that his father had taken from the Hebrew people and their place of worship when they besieged Jerusalem and t- took the Israelites as captives. He takes these holy vessels and he begins to drink from them, praising the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, an act so profane. I know some of us were offended when Travis Kelsey was drinking beer out of the Lombardi trophy. This is on a whole nother scale. Now, like his father before him, Belshazzar acts as if he has absolute power. And like his father before him, he is troubled in mind by visions. All the kings in Daniel have insomnia. (laughs) Too many power grabs can do this to a person. Imagine if they had Twitter. (laughs) Daniel, once again, is called in to interpret the visions and dreams of the king. And here is when he literally reads the writing on the wall in blood. So what was the writing on the wall? Verses 24 to 26, if you flip over the insert. This is how Daniel interprets the writing. God has numbered the days of your kingdom. And brought it to an end. You, king, have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given over. This corrupt king was found wanting in God's court. Now, just a, a fun side note, I guess, is that Johnny Cash, one of his, the great musician, One of his first, maybe the first recorded gospel song of his is taken directly from Daniel chapter 5. I want to read parts parts of it. So imagine Johnny Cash singing this. (laughs) Well, the Bible tells us about a man who ruled Babylon and all its land. Around the city, he built a wall and declared that Babylon would never fall. He had concubines and wives. He called this Babylon paradise. On his throne, he drank and ate. But for Belshazzar, it was getting late. The people feasted and drank their wine and praised the false gods of his time. All holy things they scorned and mocked. But suddenly all their mocking stopped. For on the wall there appeared a hand Nothing else, there was no man. In blood, the hand began to write, and Belshazzar couldn't hide his fright. For he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His kingdom was divided, couldn't stand. He was weighed in the balance and found wanting. For his houses were built upon the sand. Well, I'm going to come back to this, but I want to just just point out uh, a few things about the remaining chapters of Daniel. 
Um, it's a wild ride, uh, for sure. Daniel, um, the, the next few chapters, several of the kings kind of follow, the two more kings follow in the same pattern of the other kings. Uh, they have relapses and they, um, anyway, it's, uh, the pattern continues. But meanwhile, Daniel perseveres in his faithfulness. Daniel continues to pray humbly, hoping that he and his people won't be found wanting when weighed on the scales. Towards the end of the book, Daniel is weary, often dismayed by the visions. He's frustrated that the kings seem to relapse over and over. His spirit is troubled, and he lay sick for days. And then fast forward to chapter 12, the final chapter. Daniel is given a final vision about the last days. He learns from a messenger of God, some angel, Gabriel, He learns that there will be a time of great anguish, tribulation, followed by a time of deliverance. And in terms of a final weighing on the scales, and the angel tells Daniel, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But those who are wise, they are the ones who will shine like the brightness of the sky, like the stars forever and ever. Daniel asks, how long (laughs) until the end of these wonders? And in a few verses later, he asks, what again shall the outcome be? (laughs) A clear answer isn't really given to Daniel other than the assurance that things will get better, but not before they get a lot worse. (laughs) Finally, the angel tells Daniel to go his way. The full answer cannot be revealed in human terms. The full insight is sealed until the time of the end. Go your way, the angel tells Daniel, and rest. For you shall rise for your reward at the end of the days. In other words, Daniel is told that nothing will eclipse the good that he has done. His faith would shine forever like the stars. So there you have it. The abridged uh, book of Daniel. Now what? Or so what? That is what I asked my husband Jesse this week during breakfast one morning. I was trying to summarize Daniel to Jesse while eating breakfast, a vegetarian breakfast. And I just started blurting out all these questions. What is the value of Daniel today? Now what? So what? And as per usual... Jesse encouraged me to eat breakfast first. <laughs> and he reminded me of our household rule. No questions until after 9 a.m. <laughs> but it is after 9 a.m. 
So I ask, why care? Why study Daniel today? Well, I happened upon what I consider a helpful article this week by Ched Myers called, By What Authority? The Bible and Civil Disobedience. Great title. It's a great piece of writing. Chad Myers argues that resistance to human sovereigns is as old as civilization itself. And it is often a risky life and death undertaking. So in this article, he takes us on a bit of a biblical survey, and he catalogs times people in the Bible resisted the structures of authority of their day in the name of their faith. Their stories of women, men, young and old. He finds examples in scripture of both defensive, what he calls defensive disobedience, Actions aimed at protecting persons from aggression or injustice by the ruling structure. Um, So an example would be just non-cooperation with political authority. Another kind of resistance is what he calls offensive uh, disobedience. This is action through confrontation. Intended to expose moral issues or contradictions in existing policies. So an example, maybe a modern day example, would be nonviolent direct action at nuclear weapon facilities. That might be an example today. So among the many examples that he gives, that Chad Myers gives, he highlights Daniel and Esther from last week. as as stories in the Bible that are full of acts of civil disobedience, uh, nonviolent resistance. It is likely, he argues, that both Esther and Daniel became a handbook of sorts for future persecuted Jewish communities in their deliberations on concrete strategies of resistance, of civil disobedience. It's a, Daniel, he says, quote, is a charter for civil disobedience by a religious minority, end quote. And it is likely that Jesus took some of his cues from stories like Esther and Daniel as he confronted the structures of socio-political power of his day. And of course, as the early church uh, sought to follow suit they likely studied Daniel and Esther, too. Now, Chad Myers is quick to point out that while the Bible is full of examples, we must be careful not to draw too many direct parallels. He says our social political setting is radically different uh, today, especially, he says, due to the influence of democratic ideology. Christians, at least in this country, aren't a persecuted religious minority. So our faith-based acts of resistance and protest will and should look very different. A more literist approach would be that every issue important to the biblical witness should be equally important to us. And that, my friends, would mean no meat and no wine. How many of us are willing to go that route? Maybe a few. 
Another helpful insight is that acts of faith-based resistance or disobedience in the Bible comes in many forms. There are examples of confrontation, of non-cooperation. There are kind of a a pluralistic um, set of examples uh, and tactics used, and it's worthy of our time and study, he says. I want to quote him one more time. He says, Only by more seriously developing a politics of non-cooperation and non-violent engagement with authority will the church begin to embody a truly hopeful alternative to the spiral of violence and repression in our time. So yes, our world is so different from the world painted in Daniel. Then again, we still have rulers, powerful people, advertisers, asking us to bow down, to believe in things, to base our worth on things that end up harming us and others in the end. We are still tempted to worship the gods of gold and silver. We are still prompted to engage in country and national worship and pageantry. Religiously infused nationalism, Christian nationalism, would be one aspect that I would say we are called to actively resist. I'll close by saying um, this. Last Sunday, I was approached at that door by one of you. I won't say who it is. But he said, he was quoting um, a psalm. He said, I am poured out like water today, Ruth. He was so disgusted by the National Prayer Breakfast reports coming out last week, by the State of the Union, the State of the Disunion, as some call it. He says, I'm poured out like water. But, he said, this place and its people fill me up. I was so moved by that because I could relate to feeling poured out outraged at the state of our country and world politics. How I hope that we continue to be filled up here so we can keep engaging in faithful, active resistance. We'll now join in song and prayer, a prayer of resistance that's printed as the the prayer of response in your bulletin. I think Rosie is going to lead us in singing. The words come right out of, of Daniel. Yeah. 